Hi and welcome to Boom, it's on the blockchain. It is exactly 10.04 in San Diego, making it 12.04 in Austin, making it 6.04pm in Tarfside, Glenesk, Scotland. I don't know who's watching from there, but you never know, there might be somebody. Yeah. So uh, good to see you, Garrett. How are things? We're doing good over here. We're doing good. Yeah, we, we had a bit of a technical issue, guys, before we got in today. So anybody who was waiting to listen to what we're going to talk about, apologies for that. So perfect then, Garrett. So how's your week been? I would say it's been pretty good. You know, pretty I'm good. Uh, thankful for the opportunities that are uh, in my life. And I'm thankful for, obviously, you know, us being able to do this, you know, podcast every week. So Perfect. So, oh, well, we'll just crack in with the, what we're talking about in the show today. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, let's bring him in. There we go, everybody. Biden tells oil refineries to produce more gas, fewer profits. So what are your thoughts on this so far then, Garrett? Yeah, good luck. You know, he was the same. You know, his problem was he flip-flopped on about every stance, everything he ran, ran with um, in the election he's flip-flopped on, he's gone the other way. And, you know, he went, he, during the election called Saudi Arabia, you know, he, he wanted them to be the pariah that they are. And now he's going over there to basically beg them to increase, you know, output to the United States. You know, he's going over there to beg the King, the Prince to, you know, assist in this crisis. And uh, it's just a shame because it's, it impacts all the people that, you know, uh, voted for him. And, you know, it impacts the people that had confidence in this so-called Biden plan and just unfortunately. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. Just to give a bit of insight to people is, you know, gas right now in San Diego was driving past the gas station was like 645 for the sort of cheapest one. You know, you, you won't find gas under $6 in San Diego now. You go up to L.A., it's over $7 a gallon, you know. So when this gets passed on to the consumer, you know, you're looking at, you know, I know inflation says it's 8.6% and we put interest rates up yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, three quarters of a point. Uh, but, you know, you're looking at gas inflation somewhere around about 40, 50%. So it's, it's a lot higher than what it was. And that's having an add-on effect to the economy. So when Biden came in, he ran on the sort of green movement, you know, which I believe in as well. You know, I, I want to look after the planet, but also believe there is a transition in energy and we are essentially required to use oil. So, you know, the very first day he came into office, he cut the Keystone Pipeline. Now, yep. people might think, well, that's a good thing. Keystone Pipeline. We don't want any more oil. We definitely don't want it. But you've got to think of where the source was coming from. You know, he could have come into day one in office and just said, yeah, I'm happy for us to move forward with the Keystone Pipeline, but we're going to have to make some directional changes to the pipeline so it doesn't go over the Sui Great uh, uh, Reserves and over their national land. You know, he could have made that decision and then it would have meant the cost going up, but it certainly would have allowed us to access you know, the, the oil coming from Sandy, um, from Cal, uh, Canada. So just to give a bit of insight is that the Keystone Pipeline initially would deliver about over 500,000 barrels a day of oil from Canada. You know, ultimately moving up to like 1.1 million barrels of oil. What Biden didn't tell us on day one when he came in is, you know, we are very reliant on Russian oil. So at that moment in time, 8% of all oil coming into America, you know, you're talking over 670,000 barrels a day, was from Russia. Now, that was to sort of the outer lying parts of the states itself, but we're still, you know, providing us with 8% of our oil. And, you know, that's equivalent of like $80 million of uh, um, oil sales that we're sending Russia on a daily basis. You know, so this is how much money we're sending to Russia prior to the war in Ukraine. So people start to understand that. Well, wait a minute. Why would we not want to switch our supply of this oil from Russia to Canada? You know, that was never brought up. It was just a case of, we're not doing that. We're switching to green energy. 
which is great, you know. But yep. the problem is we're switching to electric cars. The more electric cars we're actually putting on the roads right now, that's getting powered by oil. So unless you've got solar panels on your roof and that uh, solar panels is essentially firing directly into your Tesla, you know, ultimately we're increasing our oil consumption to power solar powered vehicles. You know, so a lot of people don't think about that as well. So that's the first thing. Then it comes back to, well, you know, when we'll have to go back to the Middle East to get more oil. And as you said, we're going to go back to Saudi Arabia. So we're going to head back out there. I think it's this week he's heading to the Middle East again. It was yep. supposed to be uh, end of the month, but he's obviously had to move things forward due to the high gas prices and the predicament we're in. Because suddenly we cut off the Russian oil. We no longer need your oil. So we're going into all our reserves and we're eating through that faster than ever. But ultimately, we're having to go back out there and ask Saudi Arabia and OPEC, who provide probably a bit, you know, between 9 to 10% of our oil, the majority from Saudi Arabia, coming from the OPEC region, to increase their production so we can buy more oil, because essentially we need more oil coming into this country. So where was the strategy that Biden wanted to implement? Or by us cutting off Russian oil at that point there, should he not have just said, well, by the way, we're cutting off our 8% of uh, Russian oil. You know, we're going to put back on the Keystone pipeline. We might not want to do this in 30 years from now, but to deal with the current situation in the country, we need that oil right now. And we're going to use a trusted partner, i.e. the Canadians. You know, it's not like the Canadians are going to go to war with us. It's not like we're selling weapons to the Canadians to have a war with somebody else. It's like they're our partner. They work closer than any other country with America. They already provide a large amount of your oil and your gas people. So why not just take some more from them? Yeah, and then you can just say, but I'm going to make some changes to the pipeline. It's going to cost a little bit more money, but we're going to basically get it going around the Native American land. Now, he could have done that. Yeah, it would have cost a little bit more, but he didn't. So suddenly it's like who to blame, you know? And that's the problem we've got, Garrett. It's like, who to blame? The one person he does not want to blame is himself. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it, what are your thoughts on it all, Gannett? Well, it's, um, you know, I think this is going to lead to nothing but a crisis, um, probably similar to the magnitude that was seen in the, um, you know, 1970s oil embargo. And, um, you know, there could be a legitimate shortage where people, even though they want to pay maybe eight or nine dollars a gallon, they you know they would be willing to pay that still. Um, you know, it's not demand destruction that's preventing them from filling up. It's the fact that there is no supply, and uh, you know we because we've you know angered so many of these other oil producing nations that if we don't begin to rely on Canada the way we should, you know. Um, we're going to have a lot of difficulty. You know, I was up in uh, North Dakota the day that they axed the pipeline. They, you know, the Biden came into the office and they they said no more Keystone XL pipeline. And it's like, OK, that's, that's fine. But, um, you know, what's the backup plan if, you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia don't want to step in and fill the void, you know, and we're stuck, you know, bleeding off the strategic petroleum reserve, you know, at an unprecedented rate. And, uh you know, it's putting us in hot water. It's putting us in very hot water. And I would think that, you know, I would think that there's, you know, something that's going to come along and change this. But, um, you know, judging by, you know, Joe Biden's judgment, you know, you look at his uh, his ability to reason with, you know, the crisis, crises, you know, multiple, you know, at hand. Uh, I, I think we will just end up in a very difficult situation here and probably in the next, you know, six to eight months, maybe sooner. Yeah, because it's well, unless he pulls a rabbit out of the hat, which is just nearly impossible, because the other thing people need to realize is that, yeah, he can come out and just say, yeah, we, we want to bring in some sort of windfall tax on the oil refineries now because they need to basically refine more oil. But they can't refine more oil unless you're giving them the more oil. You know, this is the problem. And then by increasing the regulation to produce domestically, 
because this is the other thing. When, yeah, I understand the green movement, but you've got to think about we are using this product right now. By us actually importing the product from abroad until we transition over is creating more CO2 emissions because we've got to ship it all there. So 5% of all CO2 emissions in the world is essentially shipping stuff around the world. So, so we need to ship in these massive big you know, <clears throat> oil containers, oil shipping containers, huge amounts of oil to deal with the shortage in supply. Whereby if he actually made it easier for domestic oil production rather than make it, and it's tightly regulated here, like the regulations here are tighter than anywhere else. Yeah. Essentially, the oil production here is more regulated than it is in other parts of the world. So therefore, the CO2 emissions from oil production here is actually less than other places in the world because they don't have regulations the same way there. All they're wanting to do is get the product out the ground. You know, places like Iraq, they're not going around. You don't have a million jobs worth guys with clipboards coming around and basically going over and inspecting absolutely every single part of the supply chain constantly like they do here, measuring everything. It's like the place is in a bit of a war zone still, and all the oil companies are coming in and putting in massive pipelines and getting the oil out of the country. And that's where we're going to have to go to get this additional oil coming in. It just made no sense. And it made no sense that once you were able to essentially replace Russian oil within 18 months, you chose not to do it. And you chose not to do it based on, I want to look good to my voters, rather than coming out and just being honest. And that's the problem. Yeah. A lot of it, was a, it was a short-term strategy to appeal to people that had just voted for him in the 2020 presidential election. And they got what they, they, got what they voted for. You know, they got higher gas prices the highest inflation that we've seen since, you know, the 1980s, I think maybe the 70s. I think it's 94. I think it was something around about there already. So, yeah. but, but then, you know, we're only in June, you know, how much worse yeah. can we actually get? You and, know, you know, some of that is it's, there's bipartisan blame there because Trump was in office when all that money was issued during COVID, but yeah, it's, he, was, uh, he was spending money at president rate. So it's like, yeah. it comes back to that printing money, you know, it's just like, it's okay to print money. Bernie Sanders, AOC, it's all right to print money. Well, it's not really all right to print money, people. But if you study basic economics, you know, it's a bit like a pie. If people yeah. think we've all got a pie, it's split into 100 pieces, you know? Yeah. When they print another trillion dollars, $2 trillion and stick it into the system, your 100 piece of pie, now we're split at 120 pieces, but you still only get one bit. That's basically it for yeah, people. It is, it my is. bit's now less, but yeah. I still have one bit of pie. Yeah. And that's all it is. So it's just like if you're not getting a pay rise of 8.6%, you're worse off. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's as simple as that. You know, and then you've got to realize that that's inflation and what they report. But if you look at meat, it's up 30%. Gas is up higher. Electricity is up higher. Basically, everything in terms of milk, all your all your basically produce is all higher than eight point six percent. So where do they actually come back with these figures? You know, so it just it, it's getting worse. The markets are getting worse, and then the, this plan of oh well, we'll just tax the corporations more money, and we'll tax the oil companies more money, but if they're all losing money now, you can't tax them. So it's a bit like it's a double whammy, you know. It was um, Lenin, you know, all the all the Marxists and uh, communists out there, I would say Marxists, you know, they follow Lenin. You know, one of his big quotes was how to get rid of the middle class and the bourgeois middle class is through taxation and inflation. That's how you squeeze people out of it. And then it just becomes this very small crop of people at the top, i.e. the politicians and their friends, who are uber wealthy, they own everything like they do in places like Venezuela, like they did in places like Russia, like they did in other places as well. And then everyone else is poor. And so because America was set up as a capitalist country, you know, now people are starting to think, well, wait a minute. It all sounded good. It all sounds perfect. You know, Venezuela was the prime country for just printing money, printing money, printing money. You know, and you start looking at inflation in other countries right now, you know, in Russia, inflation is supposed to be nearly 20%. Electrical goods, because of all the sanctions, are higher coming into the country. 
you know, vodka's cheap because they still make vodka, you know. So yeah. <laughs> we can all drink vodka, everybody, but everything else, we're screwed, you know. You go into other places, apparently Turkey, 72% inflation. It's crazy, 72% inflation. You know, we're lucky because the economy here is still strong enough to retain it in Western countries. But when you start going to Argentina and you start going into Venezuela, and when they printed money and printed money and printed money for the government to spend in government programs with no recall, it just led to mass inflation. And then suddenly the country's getting in all sorts of trouble. And then you start looking at the taxation collected in oil and gas. See, this is the problem is they've actually collected in the last 20 years, the government has collected more money in taxation and oil companies domestically. And you're talking about all the oil companies, all the taxation from the gas stations and all the taxations from the 10.1 million people who work in the industry is actually higher than the profits of all the oil companies. People just, just think about that, wait a minute. So the government has taken in more money in taxation in the last 20 years than the oil companies have made profits. You know, that's basically what's happening. So people can just suddenly think, oh, well, it's their fault. It's not their fault. And it comes back to like, where was the strategy? And then the strategy is now getting out of control. And even then, he still wants to push forward and you've still got people in government talking about, well, I drive my Tesla, so screw you lot. Well, a basic Tesla is 55 grand. So unless you work in government, whereby you get paid 187,000 a year, but somehow make 10 million a year, you know, and if you're just working at home, you can't afford to spend 55 grand on a new Tesla right now. Oh, so yeah. You factor in the fact that are, you know, it's scarce, you know, just uh, many people, you know, there's just not enough electric cars to fill the void. And there certainly isn't enough energy to fill the void. I mean, I, I, I went up and, you know, you, it's amazing. You see how enthusiastic the coal industry is uh, about Tesla. It, it's incredible that, you know, it's just uh, it's all politics. And the Tesla motto should be out of sight, out of mind, because it doesn't solve anything. All it does is it's instead of enabling oil and gas, they're just enabling coal. And maybe this is some sort of secret agenda. I, I don't know about it. I just thought of a conspiracy theory there. You know, Biden being from Coal Town, maybe boosting Tesla and electric vehicles was his secret agenda to bring back coal, but have it be out of sight, out of mind. How about that one? <laughs> yeah. But, well, and it comes back to, you know, the, us, uh, all these coal plants that are opening up in India and China and across the rest of the world right now for, to provide our product, our industrial product. You know, that's creating so much CO2 emissions. You know, Apple, we spoke about that before. Your iPhone, it's manufactured by coal. Yep. We're not all sitting at home going, oh, let's get that. No, we're all going mad at the Keystone Pipeline. But wait a minute, this device that I'm holding right now is manufactured by coal. All Nike products manufactured by coal. All tailor-made, all Titleist golf balls. US Open's on right now, manufactured by coal. We're not going mad at Titleist, you know. I, I hit the odd Titleist golf ball in the bushes, obviously mad about my swing, but not mad because that one, I'm not standing the first tee and saying, oh, everybody, I'm, you know, I want to do my, my, for my environment. I want to use a, a green golf ball. But they're making every single golf ball in the world manufactured from coal. Everything out there is manufactured from coal. But we don't say that, you know, because yeah. they need the donations from them. That's what all these lobbyists do. And it comes back to the same thing as like, it, the politicians, you know, and you're not talking, you're talking across both aisles, you know, Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Waters, Pelosi, AOC, that you can just list them all is they're all becoming uber wealthy. They've all got massive net worths compared to what their salary is. So where's the transparency in that? Even Bernie Sanders is worth 25 million, you know? AOC used to work in a bar getting $7 an hour. She loves to tell you that story. Now she's worth $30, $40 million. How did, how did you come from getting paid $7 an hour in a bar? Now you're worth $40 million. It's just like, it's incredible. But what I need to tell you is I've got a Tesla. I'm AOC. I've got the same dog as Lady Gaga that cost 25 grand. Who is a 25 grand dog? Celebrities, pop stars, and politicians. That's the people who have it, you know? It's just like it's one rule for the other. And then Biden's coming out. Well, we'll just blame the oil guys again. 
well, wait a minute, you turned off our supply from Canada, and now we're going to go back out to the Middle East, and then whatever Saudi Arabia wants us to do out there, we're going to have to do, because they're not happy with us now. Because Saudi Arabia is not happy from a political point of view of, you know, what are we doing in the region? Because they were our number one partner. They were our number one player. They liked us working with them the best. They're our number one customer for buying so much of our stuff. They're supplier of their oil. We're not happy with the way you're operating out here. You need to be on our side. We do not want any negative political um, bias against what we're up to doing in Yemen, you know. And then you've got the poor guys, the golfers, you know, like Phil Mickelson, he's having to apologize. He apologized yesterday. This was ridiculous. He had apologized for 9-11. Like, why did Phil Mickelson have, because he went and played in the Saudi Golf League. And then we did, we've not even blamed Saudi Arabia. It's like the politicians have managed to do a body swear from that. You know, like George Bush Jr., Tony Blair. You know, it, it wasn't Saudi Arabia. It was basically Afghanistan. And we went after bin Laden. <laughs> but now, 20 years later, poor Phil Mickelson, yeah, who cares? You know, oh, it's sports washing. This is ridiculous. He's now having to apologize for play, getting paid $200 million to play golf for these guys. Who cares? You know, that's not the problem. I don't care if Phil Mickelson gets paid $200 million. You know what I mean? Good for him. It's like, but we're making this such a big deal. You know, this is ruining golf. This is it. We can't do this anymore. Well, it's like politically look a bit closer to home, you know? But it, that doesn't matter. But it still comes back to the same thing as like, why are we not encouraging increasing domestic supply? Now, if you start thinking about the taxation piece of it, this is the other thing with renewables. Taxation in oil and gas is bringing in trillions of dollars. Are we going to tax renewable energy in the same way? Because right now we're subsidizing renewable energy. We're not taxation in the same way, you know? Yeah, you can tax people like for making, a, you know, vehicles and product, but the energy source is not taxed in the same way as oil and gas. So where's this void going to come in from as well? It's not like we're just going to replace $2 trillion just like that. And then it comes back to how much the government's even making in the gas pumps. You know, you look at, I was just looking at California, it's like 51.1 cents per a gallon is state tax. 18.4 is federal tax. And then you've got another between 11 and 15 cents. It's probably about that in sales tax. So right. suddenly you're up to like 90 cents a dollar of everything in the pump going to government. Why does the government not just not? I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll knock off 20 cents of our tax uh, to bring the prices down. Why can't in California for the dollar we'll do? I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just take a break to help with inflation We'll knock 50 cents off our tax for the next six months. How's that, people? And everyone goes, well, can they do that? Yeah, they could do that like that. They've done it in, they're going to do it in the UK. They've done it in other countries. But they don't want to do that here. But, but they, well, it's not that they don't want to do it. They don't want to tell you that, too. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they're evil. They're bad. That's the process of thought. It's yep. like you're making it more and more difficult through regulation to access private equity and venture money for small to medium-sized operators to basically produce the product here that you have that you're never going to run out of. And on the flip side, we're prepared to send billions of dollars on essentially on a daily basis to other countries that things like the Saudi Golf League that we think is absolutely terrible, but we're happy to be sending them $100 million a day into, out to OPEC. That's no problem at all, guys. There's $100 million. It's $100 million leaving on a daily basis. We're paying them for oil. But if that $100 million was domestically produced here, we'd tax that. It's like, it doesn't take a genius to work out what it is. You need to be 100% control of your own supply. And why does Biden not want to say that? Because he doesn't want to upset part of his group. But I think in going forward, a lot of politicians, and you know, he's asked the politician to be honest. They're not honest at all. They're honest to two people. One, whoever their lobbyist is paying the money. Because whatever they've given you a donation. It's a bit like in the last election, Bloomberg, you know, he made a bit of a... Yeah, he wasn't very good when it was in the thing, uh, in the primaries and they were having a lot of debates. He wasn't great. But he still turned around and gave a huge investment into Biden's campaign. You know, it's like, how can that guy turn around and just go, oh, they, by the way, there's, we don't, me and Garrett can only give $3,400. I think that's an individual contribution, but he gave 40 million. 
So who's Biden going to basically cow to me for three thousand four hundred dollars, or the guy that's just given him forty million? You know, and why is he allowed to give forty million? You know what I mean? Doesn't make sense. And it's the same with all your areas. When you start, you can drive, you can, you can dive down to this information. It's like AOC in Queens. Ninety-seven percent of her money comes outside Queens for her funding. So who, who's she? Who's she speaking about? Who's, where's that money coming from? Why won't she answer any questions on it? And when the press asks questions and stuff like this, they always say unavailable to comment. You're on basically Twitter and Instagram all day long, commenting on absolutely every little bit of news, arguing with Elon Musk, arguing with this and that. We just want to know where your money's coming from and who's giving you money unavailable comment and busy that day. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, that's basically it, people. So unfortunately, what's happening is it could have been solved if they were a bit more transparent. Now, a case of, I definitely still don't want to do the Keystone Pipeline. It doesn't matter how woke you are. It's like, you want to look at this in terms of, do we want to get our oil from Canada until we transition out of it? Or do we want to continue to get it from places like Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, and Iran? Because he's going over to the... Um, Middle East right now to ask for another, you know, cap in hand. And that's just money going directly out to the country, you know, which is crazy. So that's our rant about that one then, Gara. I think we'll, uh, we can talk about it all day long. But let's bring up something else. It's a bit more a bit interesting right now. Let's see if we can bring this in. There we go. So Bitcoin markets collapsed. Dorsey sort of got out of Twitter at the right time somehow, you know, so before the he thing, got all the bots. The thing I'm noticing here is that you were the first one to tell me about this Web5 thing. Um, you know, uh, this is uh, this is very interesting because, uh, you know, I'm still not entirely clear on what Web4 is. I could tell you the um, it was supposed to be the metaverse from what I understand, but that's... Um, you know, the metaverse, you, you just don't have enough people with VR headsets to actually say that there is such a thing. Um, you know, it's that it was basically like little video games that it was kind of a branding thing, if anything. I mean, not, nobody's doing the VR stuff. Uh, but anyhow, giving Jack Dorsey some time here with Web5, it seems like what he wants to do. I looked it up. I read about it after you told me. What he wants to do is to create a layer on top of Bitcoin that is for identity management. And uh, let me see, I got to flip the other thing. Identity management. And then also there was some other piece of it. I'm trying to finances, data and identity, but it doesn't have tokens. You know, Web3 is tokens, but Web5 is this Bitcoin layer where um, it's going to be the Bitcoin maximalist layer and um somehow be built on top of bitcoin um you know i just don't understand where he's going with this i think it was something to get you know some press uh if i was jack dorsey i'd probably just retire um because this is uh i'm not sure where he's going with this it just doesn't be it doesn't intrigue me very much and it seems like if Web4 is the metaverse, I would think that there's more to do there than there is here. I think, you know, he's always kind of, I suppose, been in co uh, competition with Zuckerberg. And, you know, Zuckerberg came out and was the, uh, the you know, torchbearer on Web4 in the metaverse, which is, you know, allegedly. And I think Jack here, always living in that shadow, you know, he's, you know, worth nowhere as much as Zuckerberg and, you know, nowhere as much as Elon Musk who ended up buying Twitter. Uh, I think he just feels like he wants his own thing. He wants to have some big thing that he said and he's right about, but I, I don't think there's any merit to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, um, well, it, it's difficult to say, but you, you, you can never write these guys off and what they're doing because, you know, he's changed the world with Twitter. You know, who would have thought when Twitter came along and you first set up your account that, it would become so influential in so many ways. And, you know, Donald Trump, basically, as president, when he was tweeting every day at his five o'clock bowel movement, which was sending the whole world crazy on a daily basis. 
they oh, just yeah. made this thing just so big. You know what I mean? It's just like it's it's unbelievable. So it's uh, and you know I I use I use LinkedIn more than I use any other social platforms. But you know Twitter, it's just like them all. They suck you in and what it is, you know. So if you're thinking Web one, the internet came along, you know. So we're going Web three, where this is now getting into some form of like tokens. It's starting to bring finance onto the internet. You know, originally it was Bitcoin, and then the blockchain was bringing in other cryptocurrencies and altcoin. And then suddenly Web four was going to be this metaverse, which Zuckerberg is just like pushing. He's gone all in in this, basically. You know, from having no media. I keep seeing more virtual Zuckerbergs than anything else. And yep. then, if you know, and if Google and Apple and these guys suddenly start producing these um, glasses, the AR glasses, more like uh, sunglasses rather than the big AR headsets, and we can start using these now, which I think that's, I think that's the next part of what's going to happen with Web4. Suddenly, Dorsey's just come out and he's claiming Web5 already. But who knows, you know? Who knows if this is going to be the future when it comes in? It's just interesting that what they're actually doing. The other thing that I think is interesting in what he's doing as well is that uh, him and Jay-Z are going to do a Bitcoin Academy in Queens. So tell us a little bit about your Bitcoin Academy experience, because you were there for a number of years and what you learned from the process, uh, while I'll do a bit of research and bring this up so people can see. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was part of founding the very first Bitcoin center in New York City with Nick Spanos. You know, he, um, you know, was featured in the Netflix documentary Banking on Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, a lot of really interesting, cool events. We were located right on Broad Street, which is perpendicular to Wall Street next to the New York Stock Exchange. And, uh you know, it was really a pioneering moment. It really gave a comparison between, okay, Bitcoin and then the uh, monolithic massive Wall Street. And it seems like Jay-Z and uh, Jack Dorsey, who we were just talking about, you know, they want to do something similar. And I applaud that because, um, you know, they definitely have the, uh, the finances out of their pockets to be able to, you know, influence a space like this from an educational standpoint, maybe not a moving markets type standpoint, at least in the case of Jay-Z. But um, I think, uh, you know, I, I applaud them for taking the time to, you know, reach out to these communities that, you know, you know, we found a lot of people would, you know, come in from the other boroughs and, you know, they want to learn about Bitcoin and they wanted to learn about, um, you know, ways that they could get involved from very early on. You know, uh, I remember, back in 2014, speaking to a guy that worked down in the Naval docks, you know, and he was, you know, he, he worked the job to support his daughter. And I was, you know, uh, his name was Raymond Morris. I'll never forget the guy. I don't know what happened to him, but <laughs> I'll never forget the guy. And, you know, he had such a wonderful, enthusiastic spirit and he wanted to learn about Bitcoin and that it moved me, you know, to see people like that coming in every day uh, and wanting to learn about this technology and how they thought, you know, hey, maybe it could give them a little a leg up in the world where it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to find that job where you're able to, you know, uh, make the kind of money you need. And, you know, by providing the education piece, a lot of people are able to just transform their lives. So this is awesome. Yeah, no, no, I 100% agree with this as well. When this came out, this was interesting. It was like two days later, Dorsey's just not happy with helping everyone in inner city areas, and he's just moving straight to Web.5, you know? So maybe that'll be, that's where we'll have to go and join his academy in order to, to yeah. learn about this. But well, I think what's your listening, you know, we can, uh, you can outsource some of the work to us. You know, we'll definitely, uh, we'll get it done because we're, um, you know, they're still working very diligently on the Upper West Side to, uh, you know, do things with the Bitcoin Center. Although it's at a new location, you know, it's, you know, the, the same ethos and spirit is still there. So, yeah, that's great. And I think it's, uh, 
for people as well to sort of, you know, we had on, um, you know, I've appeared in the, the Black Blockchain Consultants, they're friends of mine. Uh, what they're trying to do with their movement is to bring a million African-Americans, you should look them up, into blockchain and Bitcoin for this technology. Yeah. Now, you know, we're not going to sit here and we can talk about everything that the African-American people have suffered in America or going back over the years, because obviously people are aware of this. You know, I've done a, a podcast about this before, looking at banking rates and access to housing. But ultimately, one of the pro they, they see this as one of the big opportunities out there. You know, this technology is just coming here now. So it's like they're in the past, you know, inner city areas, and you're talking about people who are living below the poverty line. They're stuck in an area where it's got high unemployment. It's very difficult to come to get out of that area. The education is very difficult. You've got access to poorer schools. It's very impossible to get to university unless you've got some sort of scholarship. It's yep. just, you know, you're stuck in these areas and then it's a vicious circle of coming out. And then suddenly this technology is coming along and this technology is creating a reset button. Now, the reset button is for everyone out there is in going forward that now if you buy it, so Bitcoin now is at, say, 21,000, 20,000. Ethereum's down at 1,000. Should you buy Bitcoin today? Well, I can't, I can't guarantee whether it's going to go down. In the long run, I think it's going to go up. So you've got a lot of the Bitcoin sharks who are buying up Bitcoin right now. Yep. But in those areas where you're just renting all the time, if you go and buy some Bitcoin, you go and buy Ethereum, if you even just register to some of these sites, they'll let you give you, they'll give you $50 worth of Bitcoin for free just to set up a wallet. Go and Google them. There's wallets all the time. You can go around there. I know some people have managed to get two, $300 worth of Bitcoin in multiple sites just setting up wallets. What that does is it allows you to own part of an asset. Yeah, it's a digital asset. It's not a physical asset. We've talked about tokenization, tokenizing physical assets. But nevertheless, it allows you to own an asset that's got value. And up until this moment in time, you've never had this opportunity. And you've never had an opportunity to own housing. And then low-cost housing and the ability to buy housing is going to be even more difficult right now. Because yeah. suddenly interest rates have gone up. So, yeah, there's less people bidding on houses. But unless you're a hedge fund investing in buying up property and running property where you're going to rent out properties to people, that's part of the problem as well. You know, you've got companies out there who are buying up all the new build properties that are getting built and renting them out. So the people who want to buy houses are more difficult to buy them. But if you go and invest into one of these digital assets, it means you own an asset for the first time. And owning an asset for the first time can pivot your thought process because suddenly you own something. As long as you don't sell it and you just hold on to it, they call it hodl, you know, if you can <laughs> hodl on to it basically for as long as possible, it yeah. will go up and you will have an asset. Yeah. And this technology is coming in. And then because we access it through the internet, it's essentially a reset button for people to get to. The problem with the technology, the blockchain is, it starts holding governments accountable. And that, that transparency piece of the blockchain and government accountability is something the government don't want. Because if we all said Biden, oh, wait a minute, Biden, day one, going back to what we are originally talking about, yeah, we want you to get us off Russian oil first and then get us green energy. That's the plan. If everyone said, and then it stops us going to $7 at the pumps. And he would go, I can keep oil at $4. We'll take it from Canada. We'll get rid of the Russian oil. Then we're going to try and get off the OPEC oil. And we're probably not going to try and buy any more Venezuela oil, you know, even though we're the ones sanctioning it. But we we'll might drop the sanctions because we need it right now. It's like a crazy situation. And the general public are sitting there. See, the other thing that the blockchain does, they've got blockchain voting systems in place. So everyone talks about the big lie. The big lie. Did Trump lose that last election? But in the previous one, Hillary Clinton said she lost because it was uh, voter fraud from Russia. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it's a continual one. Why can't we just track this on the blockchain and everyone can log in and see if their votes counted or not? You know? Surely it's it's not that difficult, the technologies in their place. But then you start to think of, well, wait a minute, this person represents our state. They're all good at feathering their own nest for the four years, which is that's fair enough. Why can't we vote more often? And then people might think, 
well, wait a minute, I don't want to vote more often. I only want to want four years. If you could go online and just vote, in the same way you use your bank account online, you know, you don't go on and say, well, I'm not going to use my bank account online because I don't trust it. I'm not going to use my bank app because there's numbers on a screen and I only deal with hard cash from the bank. You don't do that anymore. So you trust your bank. You trust your money. Why can't we trust the vote? We could vote all the time. We could have a we could have a vote. We could have a monthly vote. And right, this thing's coming up. Let's all have a vote on it. Yeah. Let's all have the state. And whatever we vote in the state, our politician who represents us, he has to go and push that that uh, agenda forward. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, that would actually be quite good. We're sitting watching on Fox News all the time. We're just not allowed to vote on it. It'd be great if we're sitting watching Fox News and CNN and we can all vote on it as well. Oh, look, it doesn't matter with this politician and how much money he's taking for some lobbyist group. Yeah. The people voted for this. That's the agenda. We want to see you on TV go on our agenda. And then suddenly, it's suddenly the politicians are working for you rather than you working for the politicians. Like they all claim they're doing. You know, I work so hard for my community. I've only been there like three times this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in Washington. That's where the action is. Have to be in Washington. You know, wait a minute. When can you actually see your local community at? Well, I come back twice a year and have a couple of rallies. Unless I'm needing a whip round with some extra cash, then I'll be back and have a couple of rallies from there. It's Hold like on. just one moment. I got I got something special for our stream here. All right, okay. Let's well, again. It's been excited about this, so we'll bring him in anyway. So it's like, but that's what this technology does, you know. And if you're sitting at home and you don't own any Bitcoin right now, and you've not gone to university, you've not got high school education, you know. When you start looking into poverty, and I still look into mental health problems, and you know we, we talk about it all the time, it's like go out there, go online, get yourself five dollars worth of Bitcoin, get your take a position in Bitcoin. You can take a position by opening a wallet. That position might be small, but it's position. Wait a minute, who's this got it? We got a cameo from Stormy. She's a Doge. Look at that. The Doge dog, five cents. How much did you pay for your Doge dog there? Uh, it's my girlfriend's dog, and uh, she's out of town right now. So we have the quintessential crypto Doge cameo here. Yeah, look at that. That's good as well, you know. In fact, what oh. I'll do is I'll, I'll bring something else in as well. You just keep speaking. We're speaking about yeah, crypto. I'll right. go bring some other sort of animal in. Yep. So this is the animal hour now i mean thankfully uh you <laughs> gotta boost her up a little bit or maybe i gotta tilt the camera say hi there hi hi wave to everybody boom it's on the blockchain <laughs> she's so precious she's just such a wonderful animal and you know so calm and you know, sometimes they're a little bit erratic, but she's been out on her walk today. So, you know, she's all chilled out. <laughs> Turtle. This is great. This is a great one. Yeah, look at that. This is Chewbacca the turtle. Chewbacca the turtle. And it's a girl, actually. Look, it's Chewbacca. Oh, Stormy's a girl, too. This is a girl, though. Oh, well, Chewbacca will bite you, by the way. <laughs> She's cool looking at that, you know. <laughs> it's starting to come out now, Chewbacca. I've trained Chewbacca to jump, actually. Chewbacca can jump. You stroke her back, she jumps up in the air. I won't show you. She's quite fast. <laughs> it was during lockdown, I, I became like, you know, you had nothing else to do. What are you going to do? Train yeah. the turtle all day, you know? So the turtle's <laughs> quite good. Look, really mellow in that, you know? She'd just be happy with this. Oh, look. There's the, there's the do this is the future of crypto. Yep. <laughs> the Doge has a she has a brain wallet. I've been trying to get her to pay for stuff with the with the brain wallet. <laughs> there, there we go. Look, Chewbacca is like six years old. Wow. So she's going to live to like twenty five. A year and a half old. She's a a baby Doge. My baby Doge, right? I'm going to stick Chewbacca back in her. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta let her go. She's getting a little erratic there. But oh, now she's like, she's stretching. I woke her up from a little bit of a nap, I think. Oh well, that's and that's 
so do some research before you get a a pet turtle, by the way, because they like I did one of those impulse buys. It was a special deal at this uh, pet store whereby it was like $120. You got the turtle, you got the tank, you got the feeder, you got everything there. Turned up with it. You know, wife obviously wasn't happy because I didn't get it. And then they, they start off, they're like this big. You can yeah. see how big the back is now. It was like this big. You wow. know? And then suddenly it's like, oh, how old does Chewbacca live to? Like 25. Oh, wait a minute. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, maybe I could, I mean, my mother keeps going, we can just put it out in the wild. But, you know, the problem is if it's a domestically raised turtle, we actually went down in this story. You can't tell me the story, but I can tell the story here. Anyway, I used to go down to like speech therapy with my son uh, twice a week at the SDSU. And then every day uh, we were there, we'd go down to the turtle pond and watch all the turtles. And it's yeah. the turtle ponds here. The turtles all come out to bathe. So it was the end of term, and this girl obviously did the same thing as I did and bought the, the deal with the turtle and everything else. And we were watching her, and she came and did this little presentation about her little friend. It was like Fluffy or something, a turtle. You know, here's my Fluffy. Thank you for being a great pet. You know, you're going to be with your friends now. And she put her turtle in with all the turtles that are wild there, and then she put the turtle in, and then all the other turtles attacked it and killed it. You know, it was it was like something out of a sort of National Geographic movie. Uh, and then we were watching this like pet turtle <laughs> being eaten by all the one. And then I, I spoke to the pet store and they said, yeah, if you do that anywhere you do that, that's going to happen. It's not like you can do this because they're raised. So it's a bit like in SeaWorld, why they can't put Shamu back out into the sea because Shamu will go out there and uh, all the other uh, wild Shamus uh, will end up uh, eating Shamu. So it's um, so it just has to keep going on the tank and Sea World, and that's just part of what it is. So you know, think about getting what you have to do before you get a turtle, and once you've got one, I'm hoping Dave Rogers is uh, vice president of uh, Zion. He's promised to take the turtle from me. We're still waiting for that promise to be delivered, Dave. You know, I've got all the gear and everything for you, but um, and if I die before Dave. Then Chewbacca is still alive. It's in my will and last testament. Dave has to look after the turtle. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. That's it. That's basically my will and test. Honestly, I put it in there just to make sure there's no mistakes if something happened to me. So anyway, that's Dave Rogers looking after my turtle. Dave, get in touch. You know, speak to you later. Chewbacca, she's looking to come visit you, you know. And uh, but, but in a way, I'm sort of, you know, now because of lockdown and, and now I've taught my turtle to jump, which is amazing. If you watch the turtle jump, it's like, it's, it just, just jumps up in the air like that. If you just stroke her back with a feather. So it's, um, I don't actually wanted to train her to do that. It's just something she learned to do, you know. So um, so that's the animal kingdom and boom, it's on the blockchain. I don't know if we should, uh, we'll find more pets we can catch and uh, show them as well. I've got a dog, Vader, that's out the back, but she's a bit big to be carrying, you know? So uh, coming in. Well. That works out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's it as well. So, so you know, chewing the cud, normally we do the last bit of the show, but today we will share the Bitcoin libertarian part of it. So I've, I've, I've actually made about another 50 NFTs that I'm about to release. And these are all the NFTs that are available out there for the Bitcoin Libertarian. But the one I was wanting to bring up since we were talking about today was this one here. And this is John McAfee from McAfee Software. I actually made a political video back for the Libertarian Party with John McAfee, my only political video. It's out there online, people. Comical one. John was the star in it, obviously. We were part of Kokesh 2020 came third and running for the Libertarian president. So uh, Adam Kokesh probably not watching, but, you know, we were impressed with that. And then what happened was as we were doing the AmeriCoin policy, so I was the chief blockchain policy advisor for AmeriCoin, and he was putting together a team, brought in the guys from Bitcoin.com, and then McAfee running for vice president as a running mate in the team was involved as someone who's providing guidance on the project. So didn't really know him personally, but uh, we did make the video and uh, he did give us some feedback through the, the policy itself. And, you know, and his policy was that any movement 
towards cryptocurrency in any form, especially through government, even though it's never going to be 100% right to begin with, is a movement in the right direction. And this is one of his favorite quotes. And, you know, that's what I do with my Bitcoin Libertarian is I take the quotes of these famous people. Generally, I wait till they're passed away so it avoids a lawsuit. <laughs> Legal advice from my team there. So BL23, crypto is our last hope for financial independence. And, you know, and I believe this because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, you know, we spoke about the black blockchain consultants. We'll get, you know, people coming in there, Dr. Keisha and Future Show coming in to speak about this. But really, you're at home and you're thinking, you know, what is this guy talking about? But really, if you start to buy into this digital assets, you'll own an asset class. Now, whether that asset class goes up and down, it doesn't erode like inflation does for the US dollar. Because essentially, if you put $1,000 in the bank, and if you've done that 10 years ago, it's just going to go down and down and down in value, you know, because it's not an asset. And that's the difference with a cryptocurrency is, yeah, Essentially, if you move the high risk one in the same way investing in high risk stocks, and then because Bitcoin's so tied to the markets, if the markets crash, Bitcoin crashes. Yeah, I get all that. But essentially, over time, it increases like valuations of property. And that's why this is allowing people on a mass way to own fractional interest in assets. And if we talk about AmeriCoin, that we worked with McAfee and the Bitcoin.coms is where we're going to tokenize the federal assets. So the policy was never UBI, universal basic income. It's TAD, tokenized asset distributions. And what would happen is rather than a very few wealthy people and people who are high up in government owning all the federal assets, we would on own all the federal assets through fractional interests. And as this federal asset started to provide distributions, we would all receive distributions for this. Tokenized asset distributions. I actually see it merging policies from capitalism and socialism because essentially there's a lot of socialist policies I like. I like free healthcare. I think it's a good policy. I like free education. We're just about there already. So these are two things that I believe in 100%. But this policy takes a lot of the Democrat and Republican policies and bang it together. Now, right now, if Biden's watching this, he's probably switched off because we're bashing him about his energy policy right now. But if he was watching to learn about a monetary policy right now, but this is a monetary policy right now that can help people. And I would rather own a tiny fractional interest of the asset and get distributions because no, if because if we go to UBI, all it's going to do, yes, we've got to give some form of universal basic income with AI and technology coming in, because there's going to be less and less jobs for people. Yeah. But really, what are we going to do to help people? And by owning a fractional piece of this asset, it means everyone in America would own a fractional piece of this asset. And as this asset makes distributions, we would all get distributions from this. We've already done a deep dive in it. We've worked with people who are high up in the industry. Yeah, the problem is the government has to do this. Will they want to do it? Right now, probably not, because it means it creates more transparency, and then they lose control. You know, when the government sells off federal assets, it's not to me and you. You know what I mean? We're not getting any benefit for doing this. You know, why do they own the federal assets? The government makes their money from taxation. They don't need to own the assets. The original constitution said the land belongs to the people, not the government or the king. And that was King George of England. The land belongs to the people. And through tokenization and through cryptocurrency and through this technology of boom, it's on the blockchain, we can provide this. And if you're sitting in an inner city area, the technology is in place for them to give you distributions. You know, so... So that's key with it. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I should show this political video we made one time. Actually, it's quite a bit of a humorous one. You know, if it's the only political video I ever made, you know, I'm happy I've made it with John McAfee. So, so, and then, you know, he's the star of it. I actually appear in it as well. It's like my acting's horrible. But I just thought, 
maybe it's my only political video ever. Right. I'm never going to know. And it was all organized through TikTok. It was all organized through TikTok chat facility with his wife because he was dotting all over the world. So he spreaded his video through TikTok and I put it to the video and then sent it to them and they got the thumbs up and they released it, you know. So that's a bit of a beauty for the Libertarian Party. So, you know, and then people bash the Libertarian Party, but just like, hey, you know, you're a Libertarian, get it. I think a lot of people out there is, you know, the thing that I like about the Libertarian Party is you're allowed to think for yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the interesting things about it, too, is, uh, you know, I, I've I've been watching some stuff lately about it. I didn't you know, I hadn't followed the party itself for a while. The party is not typically representative of the um, how do you put it, the belief system, I suppose. But they, they're doing this. There's this new thing. These guys from the, the so-called Mises caucus, they took over the entire party and I guess they're supposed to be like trying to get things back to how it was under, you know, like when the big Ron Paul movement was happening. But I just I'm constantly just amazed how, um, you know, the party drops the ball and, you know, the the Republicans and Democrats want to see nothing more than a third party fail. Uh, They do not want a third party. It's the biggest threat to their um, establishment. And, uh, you know, but it's interesting to see people try to revive it or, you know, it's the only third party that has that is on the ballot in all 50 states. But it's a constant, um, you know, struggle to find strong candidates and people that are. Um, Plus the system designed not to help them because yeah. you get funding after you get a certain percentage of the votes. So the problem is that you can go onto these ballots, but if you don't get a certain percentage of the votes, you, you lose your money that you enter. Yeah. So essentially you're raising that. And then because it's this ethos of, you know, you get to live your life your way. I get to live my life my way. And as long as you don't cause harm to society, then I don't care the way you live and I, you don't care the way I live. But that, that, that movement, which I think a lot of people believe in, but don't want to vote in it, just means it's so disjointed. Plus, it's got no grassroots movement, so yeah. it doesn't get any federal funding, so it can't access this. It'll be the only thing, the, the two things the Democrats and Republicans 100% agree on is, one, not changing the voting system, so there's only the two of them, and two, when we vote for a pay rise, we all agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I they even have that vote, you know, let's all vote for the pay rise, let's all agree on that one. But, you know, if you look at other countries and other political systems, it creates multiple parties coming in. So then you'll have countries like in Scotland, where the Green Party has a small, you know, a few votes, you know, a few members of, say, Congress, one or two, three. But because that happens, it suddenly is like, well, I don't want to vote for the Green Party here because it's a waste of time. And I'd rather have to vote with Democrat because I don't want Trump coming back in office. But if you thought you were voting for the Green Party and it guaranteed a few seats in Congress, there'd be more and more people voting for the Green Party because they believe in what the Green Party does, which is good. So it's like, and it means your vote isn't discounted. The problem with our first-past-the-post system, and that's what we've got in the UK, first-past-the-post, is it's very difficult for other parties to get seats, you know? So it's just a winner-takes-all, whereby if you look at other countries where there's proportional representation, so like something like Germany, They've got like nine parties, you know, center left, far right, far left, center left, center right. And then people vote based on that. And then people go, well, that, the problem with that is we're going to have a, sm- a party in the far left and a party in the far right. Right. Yeah, we get that. But the percentage isn't that going to be there. Most people are centrist in America based on what it is, you know. So it's like and then it means the other thing that happens is it means your vote doesn't seem like it doesn't count, you know. And you don't have to change everything. For the president, you can still have it the same way. It doesn't matter. But when it comes to Congress and the Senate, why would you not want to set a system up whereby a certain percentage of the seats would go into like some form of proportional representation? Because that would allow everyone to vote with their conscience. And then you know your vote's counted. And it might only mean there's two senators or two people in Congress who represent the Green Party. So what? And there might be six that represent the Libertarian Party. And they'll still be the majority uh, Republican, majority Democrat, 
and but there'll be a small amount that does this. But that means you can vote for these people. And then what will happen is there might be times when they're trying to get votes across the aisle and get policy passed. And then you're going to have to reach out to these smaller parties and you're going to have to get them to agree. Now, normally what happens is they end up wanting one or two of their policies to be pushed in their agenda. And yeah. it, it creates it creates a better system for balances and checks, which I think the original constitution was designed to do. And it just means that people out there feel their vote doesn't count. Because if you vote Republican in California, you know, no, no offense, but it's a bit as big as waste of time as voting the Libertarian Party. <laughs> you might as well vote. If you're in California and you're a Libertarian and you vote Republican, you might as well vote Libertarian. You know, you might as well. You're never going to win. You're never going to win this state, you know. And it's the same with other states. So it's a lot of people, oh, that doesn't happen. But that's how it works. And that's not fair. And it doesn't change how it is. The government's not going to change the system based on what it is. But this technology that's come along, and they've been able to suppress people down essentially through access to information. So back in the old days in the UK, no one could read or write. So we'd all go to church, and the only book that we were read to was once a week was the Bible. So we would learn from the Bible, and this is how we would get suppressed. But then we all started to learn to read or write and start to question things. And then suddenly the internet comes along and access to information, encyclopedias. So we start getting more and more knowledge, and that's what you want, more and more educated. But then people start to question this. Well, wait a minute. What are these guys doing right now? So then a, a case of like, how do you suppress people? And it's, it's, it's financial independence that stops people. You go along with what it is because you believe these guys have got your best interests. But really, if you were financially independent, you get to do what you want, you know? And that's the key. And I think that's the message that McAfee's trying to say with this. It's crypto yeah. our last hope for financial independence. A bit like Star Wars. Luke Skywalker was our last hope. But he managed to pull through, you know? You've yeah. just got Luke Skywalker, Chewbacca, Princess Leia, you know, uh, C-3PO, R2-D2, and a bunch of Ewoks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of Ewoks. But somehow, we managed to beat Darth Vader, the Emperor, and there are millions and millions of uh, bad guys, you know? And we made it in the end. So, you know, whether this is the last hope for financial independence for people, but I think it's it's providing an opportunity for people. And coming back to what we we're talking about with Jay-Z, coming back to what we're talking about and what he's trying to do in these areas, he's going in there to essentially provide education, provide financial education. Because if you read what Jay-Z's about there, he wants to provide financial education to inner city areas where they're not even getting that from the traditional schooling system. Right. And that's what's so interesting about why he's going into it. And he's bringing in someone like Jack Dorsey, who's, you know, let's be realistic, he's one of the leading entrepreneurs of our time. You know, we're talking about Web5. We do understand what it is, but the chances are it's going to work because he's running it, you know? Yeah. It's just basically, like, they want to go in there and they want to educate the inner city areas where people have been trapped in these areas and they're on the little mouse uh, reel, running, running, running. They've got no chance of getting any property. They've got no chance of creating any generational wealth. And they're going in there to start this process. And, you know, and I want to just commend Jack Dorsey and Jay-Z. You know, I think Jay-Z is a person that people in inner city areas look up to. People understand that this guy's come from these areas and he's got himself out because he's a mega talented artist and then a mega talented business guy, a mega talented musician. And now he wants to give back. And that's so key. And he sees Bitcoin and crypto in the same way McAfee sees it, in the same way so many people in this movement see it, is it's not just a case of when people understand it, it can change the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So that's perfect. So any other plans coming up over the next few days in Gannett? Um, you know, we uh, I, I may be uh, traveling here to uh, go out to an event this weekend. But uh, the, other than that, uh, not a whole lot. And then uh, next week. You better behave yourself. Be in your best behavior, everybody. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a libertarian do, so they usually last for a few days anyway. You know, yeah. now I've got kids and family and that. I'm not allowed to attend anymore, you know. <laughs> 
But uh, that's good. Good for you, Garrett. That'll be a, a fun few days. Yeah. You know, so, well, that's been great. We've talked a little bit about uh, the problems with the oil and gas industry. We've started talking a little bit about Web5. Again, we talk about crypto. It's good to speak about what Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey are trying to do and go into inner city areas whereby there's not the same education in financial education. And you don't get financial education from school, you know? And that's taught from your parents. And these guys are going in there and just saying, listen, you don't have to become a gangster. You don't have to get shot. You don't do this. There's a path for you to get out of this and create generational wealth. And we're going to start to teach you all about it. And having come from that background, Garrett, you know, I think a lot of people are going to have great opportunities out there that they've never had before without these guys going in there. And that's what the university should be doing. Not like bumping everyone for 50 grand to pay highly paid professors who are on tenure every year they make two three million dollars you know all these people in all these universities why do universities have to make millions and millions and millions of dollars i thought your whole point was to provide education not feather the old nest of what it is and then if you got tenure if people understand what tenure is tenure is something whereby you can't be fired you know it's like a supreme court judge <laughs> yeah job, a job for life people why do we have that a job for life Supreme Court judge, I still don't get that because they always go on when they're too old. But ultimately, where the president's got term line, term time, you know, it's like everyone else's job's based on, are you doing a good job? Is the company doing well? You could lose your job. But a university professor doesn't have that anymore if you've got tenure. And they, they earn huge amounts of money. They get huge bonuses. They go on long sabbaticals and get paid for that. Yep. Yeah, uh, you just froze there. You know, so it's like it's it, it, that's basically something that needs to change as well. So the likes of Jack Dorsey and Jay Z going into inner city areas and basically providing education into financial education with this new technology and all the other stuff. I'm sure they're going to learn. If you've got an opportunity and these guys turn up and you're thinking, "What am I going to do with my next life?" Sign up to their program, people. You know. Because they're not going to be giving you garbage. They're going to be giving you something good. And that's what the university should be doing. You should be going into inner city areas and saying, we understand that you can't pay us $50,000 a year. But I'll tell you what, here's an online version of Harvard. You guys can do this for free. And we'll, you know, we'll get Apple and Microsoft to give you a free computer. Bill Gates, he's got plenty of cash to chuck about and everything else. Why can't he buy inner city area computers? Start providing education. You know, that's yeah. basically what they've done is they're basically taking the education system and then the governments and the universities probably won't even like this, you know, because yeah. they're bypassing a product, what they want to do for free. Elon Musk, he talks about education all the time. Education is now free as far as he's concerned. You, you want to pay to go to university? No, you don't want to pay. Do it yourself. Save yourself the money, you know, which is great. He's starting to, and that's, but then it takes more than just people saying it. It takes people like Dorsey and Jay-Z going out and setting these things up. Oh, and yeah. It, works, it, it, it could be astronomical change, especially for inner city areas. And that's, uh, you know, great for the future of America. So thanks very much. That's us had our, our weekly rant in, um, about what's happening in the, the blockchain world and everything else. You know, the U.S. opens on this week. So anyone wanting to watch a bit of golf, you know, Hopefully, Rory McIlroy will win again. You know, big supporter of Rory. You know, PGA player. We'll see if any of the guys from the LIV tour do so well. Probably not. You're not getting 200 million just to turn up. You might not play so good. You never know. Phil might come in. You know, I don't like this Phil Mickelson. By the way, getting a bad rep from everyone right now. You know, I mean, I get it. Phil's taking the cash. It's not 20 pieces of silver, everyone. It's 200 million dollars. You know, he is an independent contractor. Phil had nothing to do with 9-11. I don't see why he has to be apologizing about it. He just wants to play a game of golf. So you've been watching Boom It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.